This episode contains brief mention of childhood physical abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Bad Associations podcast. Today we're hearing from Matt. Matt is actually somebody I personally knew as a witness. When we were teenagers, we went to the same congregation, but time went on. We moved and went our separate ways. Years later, he left the religion due to the fact that his sexuality would never be accepted. We reconnected years later, after he had fully come out of the closet, but until this conversation, I never really heard his side of the story before, at least not from him. So without further delay, here's Matt. Was there a moment where you kind of started questioning things or realizing it was all bullshit, or was it just like a gradual thing? I mean, for me, it was definitely more gradual. So I was born into it. You know, my, my mom, obviously, she she became a witness in the 70s. And then, you know, her family went away from it. And then she discovered it probably about a year before I was born. She went back. And so, like, it was all I knew. Um, obviously, with my, um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm gay. So, like, you know, that it, it, there wasn't no, like, epiphany you know, it's not like it's like one day you just like walk through like some like rainbow arches and you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. You know, so like that was a gradual thing for me, too. There there is like there there were just some certain like lapses in logic that that, you know, didn't seem to like I, I, I kind of was like, mm, doesn't make sense. But then, you know, like, you know, I was so busy being a kid and doing other things. I would just kind of move on from it. There was never really a, a point where I was just like. Yeah, this is this isn't right. Like it definitely was a very gradual creep for me. You always had kind of an inkling that that this wasn't for you. I did. I'd say yes and no. Um, I mean, because I was so wrapped up into the social aspect of it, you know, with all my friends and you know, just just my it was it was my life. So like I, I just I just functioned as part of it. So I didn't really question the doctrine, but on the other end of it. You know, being this this ADHD kid, like I never really paid attention at meetings anyway. Um, for me, like just my style of learning or whatever, like meetings, especially like back then, because it sounds like it's a little different now, but like they were just so excruciatingly damn boring. And I maybe got 10% out of anything. Oh, yeah. They were like, yeah. it, it's like 1950s business church. It is, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like you're at some kind of creepy mar- multi-level marketing thing and like... <laughs> my um so my mom you know like here i am like like say i'm like the first time i got a spanking for acting up at the meetings i was six months old obviously how i'm I'm sure it wasn't a bad one i don't remember it but like (laughs) but that like like i always had trouble sitting and paying attention where my sisters you know kind of you know were you know like good good little Christians and would be quiet and I would I would be squirmy and my mom would get angry and she would like do this thing like where like I would squirm too much and she would just like pinch my leg and like like turn it like like and so I would like have this like purple welts on my oh legs. my god <laughs> so like that's kind of like what you know when I think back on it now like I associate meetings with pain um <laughs> anyway like, that seems like a poor training Poor training choice on your mom's part. Well, you know, she wasn't exactly, I don't know that I would call her mom of the year at any point. I mean, like their style of parenting 
and you know just you know going into my history a little bit like my biological father was never a jehovah's witness so my mom's parents found the witnesses in 1971 when she was 11 and like the she just she heard the message about the hope and like all of the horrible things are going to go away and just just how her personality is built she was instantly just wired for it and just like all in on it she loved the doctrine and so she, even as a kid like all of the bad things she saw she just knew it was going to go away and so she got baptized when she was 13 in 1973 and then her parents it was kind of a fad for them and they became over it by like 1975 so they were done they left they went back and did their things i wonder if the whole 1975 thing had something to do with that you know i don't think i mean it could have but i don't think so they weren't real faithful people um her father specifically you know he was kind of a like a social climber and i think he saw the potential like for him to climb socially and like maybe be an elder and have status and so i think oh yeah that was really what it was about for him and when he learned real quick you know that you have to put actual effort into it he just stopped caring and stopped trying yeah so they went back to being you know your typical michigan automotive family with very little culture or ambition and so anyway so like she obviously they stopped going so she becomes inactive while she's still a teenager and then she just starts going through her high school life and she gets a job working with my biological father when they're both teenagers in the late 70s. And uh, they graduate uh, 1977. Uh, they're both working at McDonald's, uh, you know, after high school and uh, they started dating. And then she gets pregnant with my sister at 19. Okay. I think she, no, she was either 18. She turned 19 by the time my sister was born. So my dad's like, oh my gosh, we got to get married because, you know, like, you know, they're going to have a kid, you know, so he wanted to do the right thing and he did. And so they get married. And then about a year after they're married, somebody from her old congregation knocks on the door and she's instantly back. Imagine your dad must have been like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> Where's this coming from? Well, you know, he's, my dad's a pretty chill dude. And so his grandmother actually was a Jehovah's Witness. So he had a little exposure to it. So he kind of knew a little bit about it, but his mother was categorically a religious. So my dad never grew up going to church. Like, you know, he's your typical Midwestern jock. So like for him, church starts at like 1 p.m. on Sundays when the Lions play. So he was, it was kind of like whatever at first, but you know, my mom's personality, she's, she's like militant, you know? So like she goes back and he's all in and instantly, you know, she's like, She's not cooking him Thanksgiving dinner. And he's like, well, I just want to turn. She's like, I can cook a turkey any day of the year. And he's like, well, apparently you can on Thanksgiving. Like, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> And so, yeah, it definitely started a divergent path for them. Because, he, yeah, because, you know, here she was, you know, outside of the fact that their personalities couldn't be more opposite. Hmm. Um, but luckily, I was born uh, about a year later. Uh, and so I grew up only knowing going to the Kingdom Halls and, you know, only being part of it. And then I, my other sister came along shortly after. After about seven years, my dad had had, you know, he, he, it was it was irreconcilable. And so he, you know, they got a divorce and she, you know, right away, like it took about a year for the divorce to be final. Um, she started dating my stepfather. She was introduced to him at a Kingdom Hall picnic. And probably about a month or two months after the divorce was final, she and my stepdad got married. Wow, and that was fast. It, yeah, it was. I mean, in, <laughs> well, I, I can't. I, I, I mean, my parents got married 
pretty quickly too or at least got engaged pretty quickly so i can't really say much about that but that just like from a non-witness perspective that i have now that it, it seems bonkers to me that somebody would get married that fast but then again when we're talking about our parents we're talking about them they're way younger than we are now yeah at this point oh, in their lives oh, and way younger and, and and you know we're talking the mid 1980s here not that i enjoyed dating myself as much but so it, it was just different back then i mean people like teenagers having kids and getting married that young that was more common so when my, my mom and my stepdad got married they were 27 by that point so so i mean they had they had aged a little bit um you know um you know obviously i had a teen mom so you know was a different experience the my two brothers that came after me were raised by grown-ups which i'm sure made a difference but um back to the jehovah's witness portion of it like kind of like building up to so my stepfather came from a very prominent family within the area within the state actually i mean they they had founded he was second generation maybe third generation witness and they had founded several congregations in the northern part of the state and so he was very well known. Um, his grandfather he personally had helped build several of the kingdom halls and helped found several of the of the of the congregations up north. And so, so he um, obviously was was definitely more into it, you know. And he didn't have kids, so he came in and was like instant dad to like three kids. Even though you know we still had my my dad, and he decided that he was going to train and discipline and and. Um, bring us up his way, which was this very toxically masculine, um, you know, country boy, you know, men build houses, you know, and, you know, here I'm trying my sister's dresses on, you know, like, so obviously like what they might call toxic masculinity today, <laughs> maybe a little toxic, maybe a little bit, <laughs> um, because like there's, I've met several manly guys in my life that weren't toxically masculine. Like, you know, like, oh, like there's definitely yeah. non-toxic masculinity out there too. Yeah. Like for not sure. all masculinity is toxic. <laughs> no, I, it, absolutely. And in, in this, in this sense, I think it was. And like his and my personality just, I mean, it was oil and water from the start and I was a very strong willed kid. And like, you know, I was, you know, obviously I was more feminine as a kid and more inclined to like do girl things and play with Barbies and, and, and stuff. And I, that did not sit right with him. So like, like the, like the, the bullying almost to kind of like shift my personality away from it started, started almost immediately just because I did not fit his, uh, you know, definition of how, how a boy should act. I don't think he had a plan. I just think, you know, in his mind, this is how girls should act. This is how boys should act. And, you know, and, and, you know, any sort of divergent behavior, you know, you just shame out of the child. <laughs> and well, so, that was, I mean, that was pretty standard back then too. I mean, that was, that was, it was, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, some people were more, were probably more abusive about it than others. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, yeah. It was a wild time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you're, you know, when you're a kid, you're growing up in it, you don't notice any different. You just like, you know, looking back on it now, I definitely developed some like defense mechanisms to like kind of cope with it and like push back on it. And I, I hated his guts when I was a kid because, you know, I always just was constantly being shamed and, and obviously being a strong kid, I was getting myself in trouble anyway. And so like, it was an anxiety ridden home life, I guess. 
we would go over to my my dad's because you know my parents obviously they they had split custody and my dad you know he wasn't going to give up on us um and he fought for i mean he fought for several years to try and and get more equitable like child um you know like child support and stuff and at, at one point one of the lawsuits that they were fighting um i got taken to a doctor and my sisters got taken to a doctor and we were examined for physical abuse um and he had and i um he had the the judge put a restraining order that my stepfather couldn't like spank us you know because like they would use a belt and they wouldn't use it properly and oh yeah um they so, marks like, yeah but it again like i wasn't like beaten up or thrown around it was legit like you know like probably how kids in the 60s like that was just normal <laughs> even though here we are in the 20 years later when things are starting to get a little more progressive um so like my dad got a, a stop put to that but this was still this was michigan in the 1980s so like when it came to like custody the mom could basically be like doing crack in the middle of the street and abandoning her children and she's still going to have more um leverage to keep kids than than the father would um and my dad you know he had a much he had a very stable job he had a very you know stable finances environment and and he you know he really wanted more say in in our lives and you know they just pushed back my stepfather he moved us out to arizona six months after marrying my mom and my mom you know my dad's like you just took my kids two thousand miles away from me and like so like that started more lawsuits and more custody battles so like from your perspective you're just you know you're just walking around minding your own business and then within eight months your mom is married and you're moving to another state correct well so she's married and then probably i would say eight months after that we moved to arizona i finished second grade out in arizona and then we went back you know, because my dad would have us for the summers at that point. So we went back to my dad's for the summer. And when he took us back to our mom's for, um, you know, to go back to school, all of a sudden we were in Colorado. So they had over that summer moved from Arizona to Colorado. And we lived there for another two months. And I think finally, because he's, he, they were in custody battles, like the entire two years that he moved us away from, from the state. And uh, so in January of 1990, he moved us back to Michigan, but to the west side of the state because we were, we, you know, we were born and raised or started in the the eastern side of the state. And he hated that part of Michigan, so um, not holy uh, enough, apparently. Well, <laughs> ironically, the part he moved to was slightly holier. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're a little holier over here on the west side of Michigan. <laughs> a tad bit, some good barn dances happening on that side. Of the state. <laughs> That's um, true. <laughs> um no but so so we did we ended up back in michigan and then uh that's where kind of like i would say like my witness foundation really starts is like because you know i'm nine years old at this kingdom hall uh meeting all these you know friends that are young in my age and that's where most of my witness memories are or in the eight years i'm at this i'm in this you know small michigan town um with this you know close-knit congregation that had like five different families everybody was related um you know and so obviously we were the outsiders but you know that that's that's how it got started um not really got obviously not got started because i was witness my whole life but that's right that's where i associate most of my memories and my growth and my 
you know, divergence, if you will, yeah. happening. So that's 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 kind of funny because I think when I started going to that hall too, I feel like that was like the first time where I actually, I don't think it was like the start of my spiritual life as a witness because I have a lot of memories as a witness before that, but like it's when I started like having my own life and having like my own friends and not just like kids my parents just you know shoved me into a room with but right okay i can attest definitely that you know from my perspective that congregation was kind of like amazing because it was just so many so many kids around our age There, there really were and looking back at it most of those kids were cousins um or there was just some sort of connection there and there were two congregations in this small city and ours had like 120-ish publishers and in the other side had like 54 publishers and they were all old dead dying people and like nobody wanted to go to those meetings um it was yeah so like it was definitely more vibrant if you will but on the on the other side of it like those people like when you live in a closed socio so sociological perspective like that I mean, they were just piranhas with each other. I mean, everybody knew everybody's business. And like, you know, when certain kids would get disfellowshipped, everybody knew about it. Like, I remember because, you know, like I'm like nine and 10 and 11 and I'm seeing like these kids who are like, like 17 or 19 get disfellowshipped. And when you're 10 and somebody's 19, they're, they might as well be in their 40s. They're just so old for you. And yeah, and, totally off your rate, totally off your social radar yeah. at that point. And, you know, and you just, you know, like instantly you just, you just knew that they're bad. And, um, and, you know, so like there's no compassion for whatever human thing they did. It's just like you just know, you know, I'm a kid. I don't understand what they do. I just know they must have done some bad things. And it was probably sex. And because, um, you know, sex is might as well have been the unforgivable sin when you're growing up in that area. And they they just fear shame you from the, like, from, from the earliest of ages about how, you know, how bad it is. And I think. That's also why so many of those kids get married at like 17 or 18 or 19 because oh, they- obviously <laughs> they, they, we know it's 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 one of those like it, it was like the every time I went to one of those weddings, you could just kind of feel that everybody it was like the elephant in the room that nobody would address like everybody knew why they were getting married. It's like yeah. everybody everybody knew they were getting married to have sex and that's well, that's exactly why you got why. married, right? Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Well, you get married because you love each other, I think. <laughs> marriage isn't a partnership. Marriage is legal sex. Like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, I didn't, yeah, you're, I didn't think about it in those terms. Like whenever there was a wedding yeah. and there was a lot of them, like it's not, e- it's not even legal sex. It's just like, don't ask, don't tell sex. Well, at that point <laughs> right i mean but i mean it, you, you can do it and and still be in good favor you know with right the exactly you're yeah. expected it's yeah um but yeah you're right i'm I, but based on the definition that i understand anything other than anything other than like missionary and saying <laughs> a prayer before and after is is frowned upon. <laughs> um oh, god um so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't want to i want to think about some of the sins that were created in some of those bedrooms but oh god um one of those that's one of those things i'm glad i missed out on as a witness like i just kind of i didn't get involved with any of that until after i left and i'm so thankful for that because i I, I hear stories and it's like oh god i can't even imagine like how weird it would be to have a jehovah's witness partner 
like and and like have to deal with all that weirdness can you yeah i mean well especially like you know my gas over here like like how would that work like i there was a long time that i knew i was going to get married to a woman because that's what i was supposed to do and i wasn't like you know i was still obviously um kind of battling myself about who I was and not really admitting it to myself. But, you know, I, I pretended that I liked girls and had fake girlfriends. Obviously, I never really kissed any of them. So, like, it, um, you're just walking around like, hey, nice <laughs> boobs. <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah, titties, love them. Um, <laughs> God, I, I can't, yeah, I can't, I, I can't even contemplate that. Um, but it's, I just think of like all these friends that I had, you know, like all these younger guys that were like late teens, early twenties. And you know, like the sexual frustration had to have been through the roof and how they manifested it was just like constantly pursuing all of these girls. And, you know, some, some of these guys were more desperate than others, but they were all, I mean, it was just all so obvious and, I just, I always looked down on them and I guess I could, it was easy for me for my lofty gay perch because I never had those aspirations ultimately. And, um, I don't, I just, I never, I envy that because they were just, I mean, just, they were just relentless in their pursuit of say, you know, satiating that need. And it came out as you know, like trying to find a wife and stuff, but man, so many of those people failed at that. Like so many of those marriages, I don't, are there any of those marriages that are still going? No. Uh, they they all ended up all the ones that I all the ones that you and I both went to, they're all they they're all long divorced. They were they were over many many years ago. I feel like I heard that too, which I I go out of my way not to hear stuff about those people because right, I don't really I, care. Yeah. I, it's but it it is interesting because you know they they teach us that you know in the world you know fifty percent of marriages end in divorce, and I'm like. Pfft. Like ninety percent of JW marriages I've seen have ended in divorce. <laughs> I mean, you look at like even not just marriage, and you're right in the divorce thing, but like the whole premarital sex thing, and just like how like massively it weighed on really our childhoods, and, and just how terrified we were made to be of it. When the people, the people who were you know pushing that on us, like my. My mom was pregnant out of wedlock before she had my sister, and then technically she was baptized when she did it. Um, my, my, my stepfather was by no means pure by the time he married my mother. Um, their parents weren't, so like, like it's, it's not like even that seemed to be uh, a, a real good example of you know people following the doctrine. I mean, no, definitely not. Yeah, I mean, and and premarital sex had just it it did happen. Like there were. I mean, obviously it happened. It, it, there's really no getting around it. <laughs> no, it not to me, but you know, I, others. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately for me, the stuff that I was doing was easier to hide it than some of my guy girlfriends. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the biological consequences don't result in the baby bump, I guess. Um, well, plus you know how to keep your mouth shut. Sounds like. Yeah. I never had a problem lying. I never had a problem covering up who I was. And I, and I think, you know, with, you know, with starting with the shame from my stepdad, you know, really kind of trying to shape me into who he was, I realized that, you know, I'm a little different here and that, you know, these mannerisms that I, you know, I, like, I don't want that. And so I really started overcompensating and I really started trying to focus on, you know, like masculinity and, and how I came across and that and like hiding any sort of like hint of it in my personality. And I, I don't 
know that I necessarily did that good of a job, but it definitely shapes who I am now. You know, and, but now you know now it's more natural. Like now, I I don't try to be anything. I'm I'm pretty comfortable with with who I am and 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 where I've been. So like, but yeah, it's still just like a, it's 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 one of those things. That, you know, it just shapes you. Um, it's programming. It's part of. It made you part of who you are. And yeah, I need I kind of need your help here, kind of like getting my brain going. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm, no, that's fine. You know, I remember hanging out with you when I, you were you're a little bit older than I am. So by about you, two years, yep. by about two years. But, you know, when you're teenage, when you're 14 and 16, that's like an eternity almost like not really. But but more like you're kind of not in the same. We are we had like a Venn diagram of social circles where some people were, you know, we we had some people. But you you were hanging you were hanging out with some different people, like some of the older kids and that I wasn't but um i i remember you were one of the i think you were the first kid when i came to the hall to like invite me to something so thank you thank you for being welcome like we i i mean i didn't really like the age gap between us wasn't big enough for me to regard it like that different like i so like how like you know you like being 14 looking up at 16 you know, my my friends were probably two years older, two years younger than me, and that was that was so like it it felt more normal. I was just, I mean, I mean, just because of who I was, I was just like, oh, it's another boy that I can get close to. <laughs> 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 Not to make it creepy, <laughs> but like oh, I'm sure I'm it. sure that's where uh, I'm sure that's where my brain was at. But like, I mean, like yeah, like, like those were your friends because you go to school and. Like you have your school friends, but you don't have them outside, and so like no, yeah. they're like your secret friends. Yeah, exactly, or your yeah, whatever you want to call them, secret friends, casual friends. Um, you know, you know, so like your 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 kingdom hall friends were like like those were the people that we knew. Um, you know, and like we would branch out to other kingdom halls within the circuit, and like you know, yeah, um, you just kind of like build that network. Um. You show up at another hall and like everybody assumes you're there to look for a wife or something. Right. Well, so I mean, so most of my memories uh, from that are like being like 13 or like, you know, 14, like when my stepdad, when we would go uh, and he would be giving a talk and we would be the quote visiting family, you know, like I would strut and preen around and act all like, like superior, like, you know, trying to impress the other people there or compete almost. And it, I mean, it's just, it's just like such a, like a, cringy like social dynamic or, or like you know when when other families would come to the kingdom hall my mom who was known you know my mom has uh, um some some training singing like from an opera standpoint so like my mom's got a really good voice oh yeah and like your, mom, she was, your was, mom was that sister she was that sister every um, hall has one and she and so like but when new families would like come she'd sing just a little louder like. <laughs> <laughs> she did have a really good voice though yeah, uh, credit where credit's due yeah know. i mean like well my mom my sister's like if, if you recall like one of the things our family was was we were like the traveling band show like back when we were teaching well yeah because you were part of it um, i was part of it yeah, yeah and so for like, a little bit in in a small way my sisters and my mom would sing and my stepdad would play the guitar and my youngest brother would play the bass and my other brother had the harmonica and it's just like <laughs> and like we'd have people over and we'd, they'd all just like jam out and sing and yeah um it, but it's uh 
I don't know. Those, those are some, those are some interesting memories looking back on it and just like the social dynamic and just like the piranha nature of the people. Like, yeah, they're hanging out. Yeah. They're having a good time. But the minute like something like somebody would go through something like say a, a periphery sister who was baptized at one point gets this fellowship. My mom just all of a sudden, you know, has this like, like, like just judgmental tone in her voice about she's a bad person or she is just like, you don't, you don't know her. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's interesting to me. And I've, I've, I've thought a lot about like the shunning and how mm. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with shunning in of itself. Like, Sometimes you do it to protect yourself when you have a toxic influence in your life that's really dragging you down and you just, you kind of cut contact with them. Well, that's, but, I mean, is that shunning or is that just being like, okay, I need boundaries here. Gotta, gotta get distance. I you mean, know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's kind of the same thing though. And it's, it, it is different because you are actually going to say, you, you will like say hi to them if you see them, right? You're so, not going to cross the street. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so like, it's not, I, it's, even yeah, then, but I think. yeah, but even what then, but I think about that... is just natural, like what I would say, healthy adult behaviors. This person is not in my life as I want it. What, what would the other side of that in our, in our childhood? And I'd be curious to know like how it is for you, but like, yeah, those people, it's like, you just, you are, you are doing that to somebody else to a way higher degree than anybody would well, ever do it to somebody well else be, they might all well... on somebody else's say so be fucking hester prynne from the scarlet letter i mean, yeah <laughs> make them like walk in and scream shame before they sit down or whatever like maybe leave a little bell behind them um <laughs> so like for you because i'm curious because your your exit was a little more literal than mine so when you when you left i i remember i remember being with you at, at, at your dad's service um, but you, they, it didn't seem like you were being treated differently. But again, I wasn't paying attention. So how is that kind of like shunning the ostracism for you? It's uh, hit or miss. It depends okay. on the person. Um, I'd say at that at that memorial service for my father, uh, I'd say it was roughly 50-50 where half of the witnesses were acting like I had never left. And I think some of them didn't even know that I had left because I, I was never officially disfellowshipped. Okay. So that makes a big difference because oh, yeah. preaching the choir. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, they have the the loophole there for me. But there were I'd say I'd say half of the witness there were a bit more uh principled, I would say. And um, yeah, I'm assuming it, it 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 was the um the the congregation that you moved to versus the one you came from yes exactly well the the congregation (laughs) i came from didn't hadn't seen me a lot of them had not seen me in years right and i'm sure and i'm sure my mother wasn't just going off yeah my my son's not a witness anymore and he hasn't been i'm sure she's not like going around and advertising that so you didn't disassociate yourself then no okay i just i literally apparently i didn't know this uh, but and this is in my episode. But apparently, I just got up from a convention one day, walked out, and I would nobody ever saw me again. Really? Yeah. And I didn't even know. Like I didn't. It, I when I would when I did it, it wasn't like this is going to be my stand or anything like that. I wasn't doing it on purpose. It was just I can't take this shit anymore. And I got up and I just left. I left all my shit there because I didn't want to like 
it was like right after the intermission and I didn't want to like alarm the friends I was sitting with um, who are also out now and I probably may be interviewing one or both of them at some point maybe but they like I, j I didn't want to alarm them and make them I, I wanted to leave without people knowing I was leaving so I just like I, I did the equivalent of like your the dad going out to get cigarettes and never coming back. <laughs> you did what we in the alcoholic terms called the Irish goodbye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> the Jehovah's Witness Irish goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> just I, I, yeah, I literally just fucked off one day and never came back. <laughs> Bye. I'm not coming back. Don't call. Yeah. Um. I mean, it was building like it wasn't like it wasn't like I woke up that day and and it wasn't like the day before I was a faithful Jehovah's Witness. And then I woke up that one day and decided like, oh, I'm not a witness anymore. I don't believe any of this shit. Bye. It was like I had it had probably been a good year and a half or year or two where I was just kind of like trying to sneak away. And I somehow got pressured into going to that convention that I didn't want to go to in the first place. And I think at that point I just snapped and realized, hey, I'm an adult. I don't have to be here if I don't want to. And that's just at that point, I was just like, I was done. So no elders ever pursued me. I never got any calls to go to a judicial committee or anything or anything like that. It was just like, I don't know. By the time, by the time you were at that point, you were several congregations away from like your origin congregation oh yeah 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 so, the like, elders didn't know me yeah like i i moved congregations after i decided to like leave and just again it was be me being pressured into doing something i didn't want to do yeah. and at that point like the elders didn't know who the fuck i was <laughs> so they're <laughs> like we're not gonna spend time chasing after this guy who isn't like isn't like presenting himself as a witness and isn't like saying that he is and doing and we don't know what he's doing and stuff and yeah so that was basically it like i just walked away and they didn't uh do anything so how how was it for you though like did, did you kind of just do the same thing i can't recall if you were like disfellowshipped or disassociated no, I, I i i'm neither of the above um i I did a very slow fade. I, at some point in my teens, you know, I started to come to grips with who I was and like my primary motivators for staying in, in as a Jehovah's Witness outside of the fact that even with my father and the fact that I had this whole other half of my life that, um, you know, was not witnesses and I knew was safe. Like I was mom's boy. I was, I was witness. So I would say in my, in my early to mid teens, I knew obviously also you know being an elders kid and a, a fairly prominent one um we were threatened with you know <laughs> being pulled in front of a judicial judicial committee for the stupidest shit it didn't matter their entire like they had zero wit and only fear to try and parent so i knew i knew every loophole in in every kind of bylaw and exactly how it all worked and so i just knew that it needed to be a slow fade and then my mom pulled me out of public school my sophomore year of high school and so she was homeschooling me she homeschooling a, a, one of my sisters as well you know i was 15 turning 16 during that period and our personalities just really started 
clashing, you know, you know, and we were, you know, it was just very con conflict driven And my mom, you know, ever the irrational human, you know, will always get down on a teenager's level and go toe to toe with them when they're standing up to her. So eventually she had had enough of me. And I think I probably told you the story before. And at that point in time, so when, you know, when they moved back to Michigan, they moved two hours away from my dad. Um, and so, you know, we would go back and forth between the other side of the state. Eventually, he and my stepmother moved to the side of the state that we were on and uh, were, were about 35 minutes away. So one day um, I was listening to a, a radio show with shock jocks on one of the local stations and she just charged in and started screaming about it. And I was like, shut up, mom, you're a lesbian. And <laughs> like, don't call your mother a lesbian. And like, she's like coming after me. Oh my like, God. You're a lesbian, mom. So like after calling her about a lesbian for five times, you know, like five or six times and her just like, she threw me in the van and drove me to my dad's. And then I finished my teenage years at my dad's. So, so kids, listen up. If you want to get out of your Jehovah's Witness home, just call your mom a lesbian five times, <laughs> yes, and she'll take you to a world. Five times, time. click your heels, <laughs> <laughs> and magically you'll end up thirty-five. It's like the JW version of Bloody Mary. <laughs> lesbian, lesbian. Um, so, so yeah. So when I didn't have to, like, because you know, living with my mom it was a foregone conclusion you know we were the we had one of the book studies at our house we you know it was i mean it was tuesday thursday sunday saturdays out in service you know like half the time sunday service as well like it was it was just a part of life you know? um and then the minute that i'm over at my dad's and i'm still a witness and my dad at this point had conceded that we were going to be witnesses. So he, he didn't get in their way. He was very respectful. Like looking back on it, my dad was a freaking saint. So I, I transferred to the hall closest to my dad's because that's where we would go when we would, you know, at, at my dad's for the weekend. Cause you know, obviously we're still expected to go to the meetings. Otherwise we come home from dad's and we'll get in trouble with mom. Um, and I just slowly, I just like my, uh, not having to go, like I would start going to two meetings a week then you know, one meeting a week. And then it, eventually I just, I just became very irregular. Um, and by the time, so, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So this is where it gets, this is where it gets interesting. Um, I, my, my older sister and I moved into an apartment together when we, I was, I think I was 18 and she was 19 and she had just finished this training she had to like, you know, start her career. And I didn't, you know, I didn't do any of that because I didn't even finish high school based on the homeschooling stuff, which is another story. But, um, so we were living together and obviously my, my sister struggled, you know, you know, with boys and stuff and, and being a good witness too. And so she was disfellowshipped when we moved in and at that time, I was pretty much fully exploring the whole being gay thing. And one of my friends, you know, they were talking to, you know, sorry, my sister had no clue, you know, about my sexuality. I, I don't know how she did. She didn't pay attention. But um, anyway, so they told her and here she is disfellowshipped. And here I am not disfellowshipped. And she's like, you know, if you don't tell mom, I will. And like literally the next day, I go to my mom and I'm like, "Mom, I got something to tell you." And she's like, "Matthew, are you gay?" And I was like, oh my god! <laughs> like, well, I don't, I don't want to be, you know. And so like, 
So then I, um, I went and one of the brothers that had studied with me while I was a kid, like, I'm like, Hey, I got to tell you something. And so I laid it out there and I'm like, I, I told him how, like, I had been messing around with, with guys and stuff. And like this dude, his eyes, like, as I'm telling him this are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm just oh like, feeling God. like so humiliated. Oh my so, God. So I, I gotten, I got a judicial committee for that. And I went back and I'm like, I told my sister, I told my mom and she's like, I wasn't serious. And I'm like, well, bitch, why did you tell me? <laughs> because there you all this shit. Good grief. So, but anyway, um, it was pretty heavy, you know, and it was a pretty big deal because I had been messing around with a couple of my friends sexually since we were pretty young. Mm -hmm. And um, when I, I got baptized at 13 and the whole time we were still doing all of that while I got baptized, uh, which is another conflict of interest. But to get to the point of, of, of me leaving, um, you know, I went through a couple judicial judicial meetings and then somehow I got it in my head that it would be, I would feel more normal if I said I if I said I messed around with a girl. So I went back to them and I'm like, it happened again, but this time it was a, with a girl. And like, it was a total lie. And, oh my God. But out of that, I ended up getting privately approved, privately reproved. Okay. So you, you went to a judicial committee for, did you, you went to a judicial committee for being gay and then you went back to them and said you messed around with a girl so this time? This, and I went back to them. I went back to them while the judicial process was still unfolding. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I just, I needed that element because at that point in time, we call it the, the buy now gay later plan. <laughs> um, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to like, you know, actually admit who I was, you know, and that's not at all like, um, a slight to people who are actually bisexual because I don't I don't want to take away from their experiences but I used it in my you know in my journey as a softer landing unfortunately <laughs> right. um, so but you didn't actually mess around you were just lying it was a total lie it yeah. was a total lie. I mean the stuff I told him at, at first was the truth and I mean that was the first time I'd really told anyone like and to tell it to you know elders so you know who comes from from country fuck you know backwoods wherever it i mean that took a lot more nuts than i realized at the time you know now i don't give a fuck like, um, but you're at this point you're still basically a kid yeah, yeah. I mean, i'm 19 but i'm also still basically a witness because even though i'd been at my dad's for a couple years like my entire social structure was still within you know within the within the witness organization and all my friends and i like had a lot to lose yeah, my mom, my, my, my brothers, you know, my friends, you know, and I'm slowly transitioning out of it, but still like I, I wanted to keep those connections and I always knew that, that, you know, I, you know, as long as I wasn't disfellowshipped, like I was, I would still be in that gray area. And for about two years after that, I, I, I didn't do any gay things. I, I legit, I legit was of clean conscience, even though I, I was slowly getting fading, getting further and further away from meetings. I wasn't really questioning the doctrine. I, it was for me, for me, it was all about the people that I wanted to maintain. I would say sometime I, during that time, I became very good friends with a girl on the other side of the state who was one of the kindest people I had ever met. And I she, know who you're talking about. Yeah. And she, she, is, she, that is legit true. 
and she was and she is what i would consider what witnesses are supposed to be she never she never reveled in anyone's misfortune or anyone um getting this fellowship like she had a friend who has this fellowship and she bought her friend a little hope gift that she kept on her bookcase so that she could give it to that person when they came back um, so like that's the type of person she was so that that connection kind of buoyed me into not completely just separating at that point and again you know i stopped going out in service at some point just because i fucking hated it um and and i i i hated you know thursday night meetings and i, I really hated all the meetings not not because of the doctrines because they were so fucking boring and so that connection kind of kept me going along and obviously she she had a romantic intention to me and i knew it but i never really like exploited it like she knew who i was she knew my proclivities but there was still like hope for her there and i would say sometime around 2004 i was 24 we went to a concert together and that connection just kind of fully faded and at that point in time all of the worldly friends i had i finally came out to and i stopped um yeah so that's when i kind of like really fully like accepted myself you know mm -hmm. in the role that i was and I was what so concert was it? What's Sorry. that? What concert was it? Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny, but I, I was I, I, I was genuinely I curious as what yeah. trying to trying to paint a picture here, you know. Well, yeah, well, you you know me back then. I wasn't exactly a rager, so no, um. <laughs> and that's fine. You know, not everybody yeah. has to be. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. So no, that's um, cool. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it was it was it was just a continual slow fade. And my mom was comfortable maintaining our connection as long as she thought I was a non-practicing gay. And I just learned to like let that don't ask, don't tell kind of neutrality be there. Um, she and my stepdad at one point moved to Arizona, and about a year later, because you know I I, I think I needed a change anyway, but I moved to be closer to my mom. And so around that time, I, I would I stayed with them while I was kind of transitioning, you know, getting on my feet in Arizona and I would go to the meetings with them occasionally, but I would miss a lot. And I mean, I worked, yeah. I was a restaurant manager, so it was really easy for me to quote, have to work and not go. Oh, right. But by the time that I moved out of there, I lived with them for about six months and I started building more, you know, independent, obviously non-witness connections, because at that point I was not nurturing any new witness connections. And I just, I, I, I got a, a, a boyfriend down there, really a partner. Um, he and I lived together. We had uh, a pretty decent life. And I think my mom kind of knew he wasn't my roommate, but again, because we had that like, non-practicing clause in our, in our unspoken, like she was okay with it. Uh, and I lived, I lived there for three years. And then things between he and I had started to break down. Uh, I, was, I was just going through a real, it was a period of personal growth for me. Like looking back now, I can say it, but I was struggling. I was struggling with, with friends. I was making bad decisions. I was treating people terribly. And it was time for me to leave Arizona. So I, I was gonna go back to, to Michigan and I was gonna live with my dad and my stepmom for the first time while I got back on my feet there. And the day before I moved out, my mom, I'm over at my mom's hanging out. I was helping with something and she's like, Matthew, are you a practicing homosexual? <laughs> and I was just like, no. <laughs> and, um, uh, and after that point, I mean, she, she accepted my answer. She said that she had 
I left my laptop there at one point and she had like found some emails and found some pictures that I like, of course, here Jehovah's Witness mom's going to be curious like that. But I, at that point in time, I knew it was done. I knew, I knew the charade was over. And so from that point on, I, I've, I stopped trying even feigning it a little bit. And, um, you know, I moved back to Michigan 2009 and my my dad and my stepmom like they they helped me kind of get back on my feet reacclimate and it was it was so healing for me you know for them so like now when i talk about my parents i you know i'm I'm referring to my my dad and my stepmom because my stepmother has fully replaced my mom you know and and i'm very lucky because there's so many so many witnesses you know people who leave who didn't have that soft landing zone who didn't have you know a whole other set of, of of reality to go to 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 you know and, and I, so even though you know like i had my struggles like i don't consider my i consider myself very lucky and and i i don't think my story is 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 as tragic as a lot of people so i don't really know how interesting it well is. it's you know it's not about it's not really about that i mean every there's yeah. always somebody more tragic than you and oh, it's absolutely. not about it's not a competition you know it, it and you know, we, we all struggle. And it's like a lot of people who don't have the, you know, there are a lot of people who didn't have that family, but they weren't, they didn't have to deal with being gay and the witnesses either. So there's different experiences and, you know, we, we all have our different paths out of it. And some are some, you know, and some parts of them are harder than other parts of them. And, uh, that didn't sound good. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Okay. Unintentional innuendo there. Uh, <laughs> no, but we're, cool. I'm unraveling now. Oh, it's okay. It's all okay. right, all right. I got it. No, but I'm just, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, I don't, I don't want anybody to feel like what they went through is like less than somebody right. else's I, experience I guess, because um... there's always somebody like, there's always somebody in like fucking Africa that had to dodge bullets and dodge death squads and live yeah. in a concentration camp and shit. And it's and it's like, yeah, that's like, okay, you win. That is <laughs> that is way more tragic than anything we had to deal with. But it's like that doesn't that's not really an excuse for you to like not have to process what did happen to you and not heal yeah and and i certainly don't mean to say like you know to take anything away from the story i'm telling at all um yeah because i i understand that and i think one of the things about where i come from and the journey that i had is that all of that um kind of like repression and you know really honing my actions and my personality and how i presented myself to kind of be indistinguishable it gives me a unique perspective for other people who are questioning their sexuality and are in that same circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had a handful of people reach out to me that were trying to transition out of the witnesses, you know, and were struggling with their sexuality. And I've been able to give them insight. And so many of them, you know, they know they, they have this inclination but they see this this culture in this world that they've been taught to resist and they're resentful of the people who present those those mannerisms and i understand that psychology i you know it took mm-hmm. me until i was really in my in my early 30s to become like fully comfortable with my 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 sexuality and fully comfortable with people who had mannerisms that were you know more feminine and you know more divergent if you will uh so i 
it's one of the things that I enjoy when I get the opportunity is actually listening to people who go through that and maybe, you know, giving them some insight and maybe this is how you're feeling. And so like, that's been, that's been good. That's been healing for me. It's, 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 it's enjoyable, but it's, it's scary to watch, you know, other guys who are, who stuck with it longer, who actually did pantomime heteronormativity and did have families you know and are at a point in time where they can no longer fake it and they don't know how to navigate it and i you know so when i get the opportunity to like you know listen to somebody i definitely take it it's a scary world it's a um so many people coming out of that you know they're they're taught to act in a certain way and and they, they have these you know sexual expectations and relationship expectations and you pull them out of that environment which is very closed and into um you know into this world full of hypersexualized adults that have been playing this game you know for decades longer than these people have it's a scary it's it's scary to watch them and it's there's no real soft landing for that yeah no there really isn't i i meant i was just kind of thinking about that too like you know they go we we're all kind of um we don't really learn how to date in the witnesses no like we are just kind of taught seek out a marriage mate and and what does that even mean you know like yeah yeah, like how are you supposed to know you want to marry somebody when you're 15 and or 18 or you you don't even know who you are i mean i'm i'm in my 40s and it takes me years to build meaningful relationships yeah like any adult that is um that that you know that presents themselves as you know prioritizing relationships i'm like wow y'all that's kind of a clean thing you know relationships are organic they take time to build you can't force them right Uh, yeah so even if you even if you manage to get one it's not going to be a very healthy one well no well especially if the if the primary motivator in getting that relationship isn't i mean in theory i'm sure they're thinking partnership and i'm sure you know in their head they're like you know actually in love with this individual for such a complex thing for you know people who you know have such a little experience in that yeah they have like the norman rockwell vision yeah like you know the nice the 2.5 kids the the well manicured lawn the you know the all the niceties of you know that dream that doesn't really hardly exist at all i mean i'm I'm sure it exists life isn't a pain like yeah I'm, I'm sure there are people like that somewhere but like that is not the norm but even those people like even if you're talking about lady on social media presenting like how perfect my family and my life is like if you do not think that they like there's like conflict behind because it's human beings yeah. human beings have conflicts even the yes. best relationships have ups and downs yeah my rule of thumb is the better your relationship looks on social media the worse it probably is in real life yeah, no, I would. I, 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 yeah, you're probably. Not. That's why I'm not on social media at all. Like, yeah. Good grief, you're you're not on. Holy yeah. God. Uh, I just oh. see I see people. Yeah, I see people, especially when they have like the joint account, where it's like, it's like uh, Mike N, Sarah, whatever, and it's like, okay, which one? Of, now I play the game of guess which one cheated. <laughs> That's my, that's the one thing I, I, I talk to people about, you know, especially growing up in a witness, what you realize or what's certainly what I've realized from my own secrets that nobody would have known about had I not. Cause you know, like my friends that I was messing around with, there's like a mutually assured destruction. If oh yeah. You know, so like, so that, so that, that, but 
you don't know people's secrets. Like no. the, the two things people lie about most in life is money and sex. You know, they have too yeah. much of one and not enough of another. And so every one of those people, and I'm not, you know, this is not to disparage anyone's character, witness or not. Like you just don't know their secrets. You know, you only know how they yeah. present. Yep, exactly. I mean, there are there are tons of surprises that you find out about people. There's and and just talking to talking to former elders around here too like just the stuff that they tell me about they'd find out about people and mm -hmm. i i know i actually know two elders who that actually disillusioned them out of it because they thought this shit doesn't happen in the witnesses at they least actually, not in any not in any appreciable quantity at least like sure it happens what he you know Oh, it happens in a congregation over here and over there and, you know, right. whatever, it but then it they get into it other. and it's yeah. just, and it's just constant, you know, where somebody will be, somebody, somebody robbed a store, somebody beat their wife. Somebody is, you know, th these two pioneer couples are, are wife swapping, you know, and <laughs> don't even say that swinger Joe host. That sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I actually have some friends who are swingers, and they tell me that uh, you would be surprised the number of active Jehovah's Witnesses that show up at parties. I I really wouldn't, um, because I think there are so many personalities that are like mine, where they understand that they they can hide things, you know, and yeah. you know, as long as nobody knows your secret, it's still a secret. So like even those examples, like who knows how many, like even prominent people or whatever, like, you know, what they're hiding. If they're, you know, I, I would imagine there's probably, there's probably something on everybody. If you, if you're a witness couple and you show up at a swinger party, that's, that's like what you said, mutually assured destruction, right? Cause it's like, can you, you know, imagine you... like walking in and seeing, <laughs> I mean, to me, that would be like an instant libido killer. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on who it is. I'm sure. I, um, well, I, I'm just saying like, yeah, it's like, I, you know, like, you know, like going out to a, like, I'd say like a gay club and seeing somebody that, you know, from outside of the gay world there. And it's like, Oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, this person is now technically an option. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Right. It's, it's a send a wink. Like your secret safe with me, bro. Carry on. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's like swinger code for that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, I, I assume it's, I assume because if you tell on somebody, yeah, I saw blah, 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 the swinger club, <laughs> the next question, is what were you doing there <laughs> right oh i know i was uh delivering some watchtowers like <laughs> yeah that's like <laughs> i was just i was out in service delivering watchtowers to the hotel lobby because <laughs> remember we used to do that oh i do remember that like but it's yeah. so different now like the way they do it is so different now like because i yes. walk by so like this is how i see it like i walk by like like a couple in plain dress attire and they're standing by this cart with like different yeah. like pamphlets on it. And I know they're Jehovah's witnesses and now they have like name tags, don't they? I don't know if they have oh. name tags, but I've seen them at like street fairs and stuff where they just have the literature cart and they don't engage and they just have, and I'm like, it is, but in, in a way it's, it's hearkening back to a really old school, JW method because that's how they used to do it before Nathan Knorr took over.
Okay. So yeah, like Nathan Nathan Nor was like Mr. CEO, like he had world he had worldly experience in the business world and that's he's the one who made JWs into like in, the into the in the Mary Kay of religions. Yeah. <laughs> basically like and and you know it worked because they they like quadrupled in size in like 20 years. But are they I guess are they still going door to door or has that pretty much stopped? I they are because I get I get uh I get people from the Spanish congregation dropping me off stuff all the time now. So like I'm so a couple of years ago, like at the height of COVID, like, you know, they're doing Zoom meetings. They're not yeah. going out in service. They're sending letters. And I'm like, fuck these like kids that are Jehovah's Witness. Now. <laughs> they don't know how good they have it. Like, oh they my have God. book study anymore. They don't have to go out in service. And, like, Man, I would anymore. kill to just get time sitting by a literature cart. <laughs> you, like, you mean you're doing your meeting from your, from your, your tablet and you don't actually have to be there? <laughs> It was my dad's memorial it. service was so weird when they had when they whipped all their tablets out and sure and it was like sure. well you commented on it too like you're like holy shit because I remember like they would give local needs talks about like not having the Bible on your PDA because we need to actually flip through the paper like that was that was something really important to you know some so of the I old think, elders i remember because they were just like it's really important you have a physical bible because then they can't change the words and then like 20 years later it's like yeah put it on your tablet i mean they got new yeah like they've got a new songbook i'm sure it's not new anymore it's new to me they got a new bible oh yeah yeah actually art the songbook we grew up with was actually it, it lasted way longer than any other songbook did did it yeah because it came out in 80 i'm like I feel like such a Jehovah's Witness nerd historian, but I've anyway. I was there came, for it. It came out in it came out in '84. Okay. So like I was alive. I was alive when it was the Pink Songbook. Old school points. <laughs> I was alive for like two years. <laughs> I actually remember the Pink Songbook. Oh yeah. See, I don't. Wanna, you're, yeah. But the Tan Song, the Tan Songbook is what I grew up on. So yeah, that, it it was like '84 to 2011, which is like. It's it's over. It's like twenty five years. They carry some songs over though, don't they? Like oh, they do. Yeah, they like if, even if you look back, there was like a green songbook before the pink one, and like some of the same songs are still there. They actually have a copy of the green songbook because my dad's grandmother that was her songbook when she died, and for some reason he when when my grandmother died he they, it was there, so I just took it. So it's kind of like a historical artifact for me. Right. Yeah, like before, before the brown song, before the tan songbook, it was like a new songbook, like every 10, 15 years or less. <laughs> okay. And then they have this tan songbook that basically lasts an entire generation. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got a new songbook now. And I'm like, what? Did they get rid of, did they get rid of all the songs in it? Or I thought. No, 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 no. They, okay. they brought a few of them over and they, they, they had some new ones. Um, that didn't what weirded me out was like right around 2011 is when they really changed and I was out by then and I didn't know any of this and then I hooked I met up with some ex-witnesses that had just gotten out at that point and then they're like they're like telling me about this televangelist thing that they're doing where it's like looks like the 700 club and I'm like what the that sounds so like antithetical to like how we grew up and like yeah. how, 
I remember all of that stuff was frowned upon. Yeah. I remember in service, like, yeah, this, my Bible study goes to this church where they have a TV screen that pops out of the ceiling and that's so gaudy and, and immodest bravo and whatever it was and now they're doing the same fucking thing i saw i saw somebody showed me a clip of a cartoon they made yeah they make a kid's cartoon that's like a pixar style cgi it looked like pixar because the mom had the same dump truck ass that every (laughs) pixar mom has and i was like really yeah buddy No, yeah, it's like they, it was like a, basically it was like a give your ice cream money to the governing body kind of a video. Like, okay. Like donate it to Jehovah or whatever. So, I remember, you make me think of when in, in the early 90s, they came out with uh, the organization behind the name. It was like a videotape. Yep, I remember. And it was like such, like I was like 11 or 12 and like the propaganda of that video was like, I was so like, motivated like i wanted to go to bethel like oh me too man yeah the truck the semi truck that had the watchtower logo on them i Mm -hmm. thought they were so cool and that was back when they had the subscriptions in those brown sleeves everybody had like their own personal subscription to the watchtower and awake and stuff and then we'd all Mm -hmm. have like these backlogs of magazines sitting in our house so when you were a kid did you i'm assuming you had to study your watchtower before you were allowed to do anything on the weekends or did you willingly do it it was uh, hit or miss. My parents were not very consistent at all. Like they would get they would get into like streaks where they would be like, "We're gonna be real good witnesses this week." Yeah. So where we'd have to like sit down and study our watchtower. But I think my parents, my I don't think my dad was into it as much as my mom was. My dad yeah. was very into it. He was like an elder and everything. So, but no, I didn't have to. I, we we kind of tried to have family study nights. But my my little brother was kind of a handful, um, the next youngest one than me. Mm-hmm. Um, if he didn't want to do something, we weren't doing it. And he I would just yeah. We had parents that would because if he was in my family and if he didn't want to do something, they would just resort to child abuse. Like <laughs> yeah, well, he was I, I, for, for some reason I don't know why, but he just always got away with everything. And well, I think there's one in every family. Yeah, I I think it's. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was. It he wasn't the like, favored child by any means, but it was know. still a net benefit for you because like, so like we, we did have family study every week on top of the book study on top of the theocratic ministry school on top of the, what was the meeting after the theocratic ministry school? The service meeting. Ugh, yeah. That one. Oh um, yeah. So we did that and, and like and like I couldn't go anywhere until I showed proof that I had actually studied the watchtower. And again, 12, 13 year old, 11 year old, ADD kid, I I learned very quickly to like really like do the cliff notes version, pick out a couple buzzwords, like throw some highlighting shit in there. <laughs> Dude, it's, if you highlight long enough, you are bound to highlight part of the at least part of the answer. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. not the whole fucking pair. and use using multiple colors too that was the that was a good that that was a good thing to do you know if i if i think about it too long i can get a little a little a little resentful that that was my childhood and i you know i didn't you know who knows i i as an adult i feel like balanced you know and i'm i'm happy with how i turned out but like who knows like in a in a different environment how how things you know what you, you, you know for all we know, like my mom, 
you know, as flawed of a human as she as she was. She's, she was a good mom, but like, you know, you take away the Jehovah's Witness, I'm sure she would have found other ways to be a shitty mom. So like, um, <laughs> it's, it's neither here nor there, I guess. But like, yeah, like... It's I envy you, your your parents' inconsistency. Oh man, we it was a full time immersion over at our house. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think my parents wanted to be that way, and that's why they, my mom at least, gravitated towards your your mom and stepdad because like your mom, my mom saw your mom and stepdad as like family, like you know people say relationship goals. It was like family goals. This is how I want my family to be. I want my family to be the ones that whatever and we didn't have that because we weren't in the in crowd in the congregation i grew up in like we were we weren't related to the primary families there so mm-hmm. and we didn't get invited to places that's that's why when you invited me somewhere like i think that was like one of the few times in my teenage life that up until that point where i had actually been invited anywhere by anybody that's crazy so, I know, and it, it, looking back, it, it feels crazy, but it's like it was very refreshing to go to your hall because it was like, wow, it's like a whole hall of people who don't just like instantly make fun of me for everything I do or say. Really, like that was that level of like. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but my memory. That's how you perceived it. That's how my memories are, you know, like yeah, okay, all the normal interaction, and and not everybody in my old hall was that way either. Like I had, I had a really good friend there. We were really close. Uh, he unfortunately got disfellowshipped. So I basically, at that point in my life, I don't think I had hardly anything. Or I kind of left before he got disfell a couple years before he got disfellowshipped. But okay, your sister's graduation party, I kind of feel was like a a very peak moment. Which, of, which one? We're talking the older one. Yeah, the older, the oldest. Yeah, that was like a that was like a a whole weekend event that, that, that it brought, was that brought because because we were such these social butterflies and we had connections across many you know like yeah there were people coming from like three or four hours away for that and it was yeah. a whole thing and people were camped in the yard yeah that was crazy it, it was like the 90s jw summer of love there it was like yeah it's like let's say woodstock but there's got to be something better. yeah it's yeah or yeah woods it was like our woodstock our very lame woodstock <laughs> yeah and, very uh, lame by like worldly by like woodstock standards or yeah, whatever I mean, but like I mean, i'm sure there was heavy petting going on but i i don't know <laughs> how much drugs were happening there were there were a lot of unattended youths there that oh yeah there were yeah, oh, yeah. and um, nothing nothing fun happened to me damn it <laughs> well i think you were pretty at that point in time you were pretty a pretty diligent human about I was doctrine i wish i was like i wish i wasn't because i probably would have had a lot more fun but you know <laughs> i think i mean we can't we can't go back now. Yeah. I mean, I'm just making up for it now. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Right. But you, you're doing pretty well. You're doing pretty well by that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, uh, at that point in time, I had been living with my dad for about a year and a half. Yeah. No, maybe about a year. Maybe about a year. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, I was, by that, you know, me moving to my dad's, my relationship with my mom improved a lot. And so I could, I could come back pretty easy. And, um, you know, I, yeah, that was, that was a pretty fun weekend, but <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if you viewed it, but I feel, I feel like after that, it just, cause it just kind of wasn't the same like socially because you were, 
But I don't know if that that obviously didn't have anything to do with it. That was more like just a marker of kind of the last time we were like all of us, all of us together. Like, because you had already moved out. Mm -hmm. Um, Your younger sister was about to move out or was a couple years away from moving out. And uh, that's that's her story. Um, Yeah. But you know after it i mean that was kind of like just sort of like everything was kind of on a okay this this era is kind of over now and it's just slowly everybody's one by one everybody's just kind of walking away and going off and doing their own thing you know to my younger sister like obviously like her story is her story and she can tell it if and when she wants to but um me me being moved out you know like because i was quite the lightning rod in the house and when when i got moved out all of that negative energy and just toxic parenting was all just poured on her and so like i um you know looking back on it now as an adult it's easy to say that obviously you know while you're going through stuff you don't realize it but yeah i mean that definitely definitely didn't help um, I almost wish I could have stayed a little longer, although who knows, like, I'm so glad I didn't have to go through the, the series of, you know, judicial committees and being disfellowship and trying to get back in, you know, like I, I have no problem, you know, being in this inactive state that I'm in. Like I've, I, this is not my religion. I don't believe it anymore. If they, if they are bored enough and somebody <laughs> wants to remember 25 years ago, where, you know, and, and, and find me, I'm not going to answer their phone call, but let, let them do what they want at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm I kind just, of the same. I'm kind of in the same boat. Like it's yeah. been so long. And other than, other than my mother who I still have contact with, who still bothers me about it every once in a while and goes through, you know, and then the fight where, what it, does she get to indoctrinate my or how do how do I stop her from indoctrinating my daughter every chance she gets? And I am I'm I'm fortunate that I don't have to make those decisions. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if about your mom. I can tell you, in our family, like my sisters have kids. Um, in my mom, you know, I still I have very limited contact with her, um, and she doesn't she doesn't try and and really witness to me if you will i because i think she knows that it won't, won't be received well um one of my sisters won't let my mom around her kids at all because she doesn't want that and i mean at first she did and then another one of my sister her daughter's 18 or 19 now so like my my niece it's important for my niece to like like have that connection with her grandparents so she'll go over there and my mom will take her to the meetings but but honestly like she's grown up outside of it her whole life and so she kind of sees through it and like there's so so my my one sister's comfortable with that but um yeah i don't know like if i was in that position i it would be you are absolutely not going to do this with my children and i'm not really worried about them about my daughter becoming a jehovah's witness because that's a that's a tough sale to a mm-hmm. 5 year old kid where do you want to go into this world where there are no, where there are no birthdays and Christmas and and you know my daughter's five she loves the holidays and stuff like that so <laughs> I'm sure she does yeah so it's like that's that's gonna just be a no especially if she can just go home to mom and dad and doesn't you know has a choice like a real choice to not go into that I'm like there is there is no way that my daughter 
I don't want to. I don't want to be like a famous last words or whatever. But like, it, it's a. It's going to be a very tough sell to get any kid into the witnesses. I think that's kind of why they're making kids cartoons now. Like, I feel like they're kind of trying to be. They're trying to desperately keep their kids in. I I read a study a long time ago, like the Pew Research Center. Somebody found that Jehovah's Witnesses have the least amount of retention for people who are born in it than any other religious group in the United States. It's like 37, only 30%, 7% stay witnesses past the age of like so, 25. Yeah, because in every, not every, it, there are very few religions that are as rigid where you can't be, you know, you can't like right. make mistakes and like have it haunt you for life. Right. Um, and but they're just not strict enough to where like it's not like other religions where they're even more strict but like if you try to leave there's a chance they might try to kill you like they're not like that that sounds like a cult <laughs> yeah exactly i mean they're different levels of cults you know too. Yes, cult is a cult is a very tricky word it's I, it's a very tricky word but like i i do believe there's an element of cult when you look at the the propaganda i mean all religions have propaganda but like just the the pure mind control that goes on there yeah and to me i think that the shunning thing i think that if you had to hold a gun to my head and pick okay what what makes what's one th what is the one thing that differentiates a cult from a religion and i think it's it has to be shunning like shunning policies or, or because it's trying to keep you it's it's trying to keep your mind separated like i i there is like more that there is definitely like more than one factor to consider there but i feel mm -hmm. like every cult shuns <laughs> i like yeah. there's that element in every cult like you look at scientology you look at mormonism you look at um you know even the big successful ones that are this like full-fledged like religions now i guess according in most people's eyes but you know i don't no, know I, I i get what you're saying i when you talk about like retention going back to the original report or point like in my own experience if i had known i mean i got baptized because it was trendy i wanted to be one of the cool kids I had no concept that the decision I was making at 13 years old, my mother was going to hold me to for life. It's really fucked up that they do. I, that any witness parent does. I, you know, I don't think, I think you need to be 20. I think the minimum age should be 21. If, if somebody's getting baptized, they shouldn't be allowed to do it before then. And, and the fact that they are just, it's, it is fucked up because I, I went through the questions. I, I said what I thought I had to. And and I got one question about, you know, men having sex with men. And I'm like, well, I think they should be dragged in the street and shot because I heard one of my friends say that when he was having his questions and the brother, oh, the brother who like, um, was like, like giving me the questions, like, was like, his eyes got really big. It's like, holy, you know, but he was like, I agree. I agree. <laughs> oh, God. Nailed that one. Wow. <laughs> but, but yeah, I never, I mean, I never should have been allowed to get baptized. Like I knew, I knew the rules, I knew how it worked, I knew what to say, but I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. I was doing it because I was trying to be cool. Well, you like know, what kid is doing it for the right reasons? That's, that's one of the things that I personally struggled with was, you know, they'll, they'll tell a, they'll tell a kid, you know, who is, 11 12 13 years old it's like you're not old enough to get married 
but you're old enough to get married to our organization. You're and, old enough to make a decision that your parents are going to hold you to forever. Yeah. Even though you don't know what that means, correct? Yeah. Like I um, haven't started hormones yet, so you don't know your future <laughs> struggles, but good luck. Let's get them while they're young. <laughs> I spoke with my father one time and he told me, well, what about your dedication to Jehovah? I'm like, that I made when I was 15? <laughs> like, I, I can't, I didn't know anything else. Like, you don't, at least the Amish have Rumspringa, you know, where you can go out and have but, them, like, experience the real so world. It's like, actually, we didn't have... Yeah, like, if you're going to come back and commit, you're, you're, you're at least doing it with some level of understanding right uh, yeah. and there's and there's a level of manipulation there because it's like they send them out Ill, very poorly prepared and they get into trouble and then it's like see it's bad but they're not but anyway the point is like they they take these kids who have never known anything else who, who aren't even allowed to like look up any information that is contrary to what is being taught they're not and and there's like yep they're ready for baptism Okay, so, yeah, my question to you is this. I don't think the people in that religion are malicious. I think they, you know, it's a self-perpetuating system and it's what they know and it's part of their faith and they think they're doing that's right. So what do you think, how do they justify letting, you know, in one of my sister's cases, she was 11 when she got baptized. Um, how do you think they justify letting such a what's in i mean if you're catholic and you get baptized you you don't even remember it because you're like right. eight days old and they throw water on your face right um like how do you justify letting somebody make such a heavy decision so young when they have no idea the challenges they're going to have to go through in order to like keep that promise if you will i don't i really don't know i i honestly i because they talk so much about making the truth your own but that's kind of double speak because it's like, yeah, you're allowed to research as long as you come up to the, as long as you come, you come to the to same the right conclusions we did. Researching, yes. Right, exactly. Question it, yourself as long as you get the right answer. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, and, and they talk about like, and I think a lot of the people, I don't know. I, I feel like it's not a conscious thing. I think they want their kids to get baptized. It doesn't, it's not like a marriage where in a marriage there are financial and real life con consequences to that. Oh, there's real life consequences to getting baptized. There, there definitely are, but not an immediate like financial. No, no you're it's right. Not, like your kid doesn't have to move out and become an adult when they're baptized. But the I, I would almost argue the trauma that a lot of people go through from from not being able to conform to the very rigid personality needed to survive that is greater than a kid having to you know take a couple years and figure out how to survive i you know i don't want to because that can be traumatic too but i think you know what i mean yeah like, i think so um, that's a much longer lasting scar on a personality than um than just you know i mean because i i had to learn how to survive you know you know before having I a while having a wild couple of years where you made some mistakes and and then yeah you know, and learning from them. It, yeah i mean obviously every case is different and but for the most part i'd say it's probably better i I, th I think a lot of the people who are like mentally out who don't recognize it as the true religion who are uh what they call 
physically pomos physically out mentally out um but going through the motions like no they're the people oh, like, they're, just, they're just done physically yeah so there, okay. there's i don't know i don't know how up you are on the witness internet lingo or the ex-witness internet lingo blessed blessedly outside of it <laughs> yeah it's kind of to, to you know to me it's kind of cringy mm-hmm. but it's also very useful and because it, it's a very quick way to gauge where somebody's at and i can't think of a better way to i can't think of a better option but like there's so there's p there's pi p there's PIMI PMEs who are physically in and mentally in, and those are your rank and file Jehovah's Witnesses who believe it's the truth and are physically going to meetings and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There are people who are physically out but mentally in, where they're like disfellowshipped and they haven't or they haven't gone to meetings in years or they're inactive, but they actually but they still believe it's the truth. Mm-hmm. They're just not doing it. And then there are PMOs, which are physically in but mentally out, where they're they they're just question you know they're either questioning or they're, they're, they're just going through the motions. They, they're, yeah, they're going through the motions. They don't think it's the truth. They're just waiting for their uh, thing to leave. They're they're just waiting for their cue to leave. I think. And then there's uh, POMOs, which are physically out, mentally out, which is people like us who've been out, who are out physically, who the witnesses aren't part of our day to day lives anymore. And they're not part of my day-to-day thoughts. I mean, I, I'm here. Yeah, I am right. saying that, but so like, yeah, um, I, I pride myself on missing the memorial without knowing what day it is. <laughs> like they're not going to get, like, I, I, it happened for the first time last year. And mm-hmm. I'm like, cause every year it's like, I get an invitation and I see the date and I'm like, Oh damn it. They got me this year. <laughs> but oh, the, last year, last year was the first year where I, I, I just wanted to have that moment. I was like, Oh, the memorial was like two weeks ago huh so, so the last time i knew when the memorial was uh was the start of covid my mother who i i would never hear from uh i get a text message i hope you're well like yeah mom i'm good i hope you are too yeah. and she's like i forgot your address and i'm not doing the math on this one so i'm like oh yeah here it is blah 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 in case you need it you know i just give it and then like and she's like, okay, love you, son. I said, love you, mom. And then two weeks later, I got an invitation to the memorial. Oh, no. <laughs> but but th- this was also like like right at the start of COVID. So I'm sure like if you were a Jehovah's Witness, like COVID was tailor made for your fear. Oh, like, my God. It, yes. And, and so, yeah. So she's probably thinking this is the last chance she's got to save me. Oh, so, yeah. Because she, we, otherwise she doesn't try. We have a very, I, I have I have minimal contact with her, but I, I always make sure that the, the, the interaction between she and I is pleasant. She's my mom. I love her. I accept her for who she is. I under, you know, and so like, but that was like, so she must have just known that she had to do this. And so I, I that was the last time I heard from her for a year and a half. Wow. So, and yeah, like, I don't even know where she lives, but um, huh. I I, I think the COVID fear is kind of settling down. It's like they'll need a new 1975 to. Uh... Yeah, I, I think they're look. They started out with the 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 Ukraine war thing is now. Oh, is that the thing now? Russia Russia's the king of the north again, from what I heard. Okay. And, and, well, with the the USSR and then the USSR actively assigning geopolitical people the terms here. Oh, we're, we're, wow. you'll, you'll hear this in my episode, but that is literally what what the first chink in the armor was when they were like, 
listing out who the kings of the in the Daniel book listing out who the kings of the north and the kings of the south were and even my fully indoctrinated fully believing brain just couldn't like justify what they were doing like this sounds like a bunch of shit a bunch of men are making up do, you, do we do we think that the witnesses in Russia think the US is the king of the north <laughs> <laughs> I mean do they actively think that they're living in the king of the north country right now <laughs> like <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised I don't I don't really know cuz it, it's so funny because they can just say whoever the king of the north is and it's just whoever happens to be you know cuz there's always going to be a king of the north and king of the south in their eyes right so I'm surprised it's not Donald Trump I don't know I don't they don't like my mom just it, it, he seems like what he he seems like a total non-entity to at least my mother and that's the only witness i have a fairly regular interaction with low hard like how how do they not see him in in the, the stuff that he says and just yeah. the blatantly exploitation of people who are patriotic and how does that not immediately affect them I honestly, I, I'm sure. Like, I have, I'm, I have a sample size of one. That's fair. As far as fair. witnesses I have a are, sample size of zero. Yeah, and, and I can only speculate. I'm sure there are some, and maybe, maybe my mother is one of these people and just hasn't shared that aspect of it with me. But maybe that, maybe he does fit into their Bible prophecy. You know, as far as like. I Maybe don't he's know. the great harlot. I mean, I <laughs> we should we should take go back to the Revelation book and superimpose his face on the lady. <laughs> that would be badass. That be that reminds me of that meme. I think I sent you a long time ago where it was like Trump, where he did that Kofifi tweet, <laughs> and the like they had like Trump on the left and then like Trump and drag on the right, and it said Kofifi <laughs> under Co- it. This is Trump. This is Kofifi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his like drag alter ego. <laughs> He that like, was so well done. <laughs> it was. He like goes and fights crime in in the streets of New York City at night. Yeah, he's, he's like president by day and like drag queen crime fighter by night. Oh, like that gosh. that is a comic book that needs to get made. I mean, there's just so much going on. Like, how do you pick and choose? And like, how does the Holy Spirit decide? Yeah, it's definitely Russia. I mean, that's such an American perspective on it's it's an american religion i mean it it is a very america-centered religion i mean it is but this this country is so bloated and just like yeah like theologically disengaged i've got to imagine like that message of hope is going to radiate with people that are in much poorer countries you know that are much more susceptible to needing that hope Oh, I'm sure. I mean, their their growth in in third world countries is far greater than in like Western countries, <laughs> like where there's where people aren't you know living hand to mouth day to day, and yeah, and it's not like they feed anybody though. Here, have it's... some spiritual food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, I know, and that's another thing too. Is like they don't really help anybody, like at least at least like a um like an like an evangelical like missionary group they're gonna like bring some they're gonna bring some food along with them so what do you think like what's the point like like at this point there's this whole like this it was started by charles taze russell back in 1880 whatever 1870 whatever yeah and um 
it's just been this self like the people who are making you know ensuring the continuity of this system what are they getting out of it is it is it really faith is it really is it a racket are they actually honestly honestly i'd say it's probably survival like i don't know if you heard about this but um uh i don't know if you know who tony morris is but he was he he was on the governing body and he was recently removed from the governing body he either resigned or was removed they didn't say they just said he's no longer on the governing body um you know the roof they're not saying much they've you know they're not they've kind of scrubbed some such some sections of the website from his of his talks but not others and right now they're right now i think it's too early to tell but like this is like like this has only ever happened one time in the past and that was ray franz and he like came out and he wrote like the biggest apostate book that has ever apostated in, 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 I, don't, I don't know I if love, you're, I, you, I love how you turn apostate into a verb. Let's just, yeah, <laughs> let's just keep apostating here. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you ever hear about that book, like Ray or Ray Franz or anything, when you were growing I up? I feel so like you've been my over the last like 10, 15 years. You've been kind of my connection to have some insight into what's going on. Yeah. Um, and you know, and even you and I, as our adult lives go on, have limited, you know, contact. But right. Um, was it there was one guy that I remember seeing videos on and he seemed like he was pretty high up and he was trying to spill the tea um, hmm. That I but, mean that's the only thing that's the only one I can think of so it, that must have been who it is so, so apparently there's a new guy that's like trying to blow the whistle on it I don't think I don't know I yeah. uh, he, he was the subject of some controversial talks I think he gave the tight pants talk I don't know if you talk. The tight pants talk is where he basically said that uh, homosexuals are influencing the fashion industry to get men to wear tighter pants so that they'll be more attractive to homosexuals. Well, technically, <laughs> if he wants the truth on that, it's gray sweatpants. Um, <laughs> it's gray sweatpants. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, blame the gays for it. Like, shit. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it it made its it made its round on apostate forums when I was more active on them than I am now, mm. um, but that was a thing. And then apparently there was like some somebody caught him in a li- not caught but like somebody filmed him in a liquor store buying like twelve. He he was buying like he had an entire cart full of top shelf scotch like single malt that was McAllen so, or some he had like 800 bucks worth of booze. So where what what's the scan i so i live in kentucky so like <laughs> like buying a 500 dollars bottle of scotch or whatever is kind of like part of culture here like what's well, the scandal with that i don't understand i where think they, it was more like well he had an entire cart full so they're basically and like him I, big I or something or it was i think it was more like uh because I don't know how these gov- how these guys in the governing body make their money outside of the witnesses and outside of donations. It's like, how much did the did donation? It was sort of like, did donation money go into this? Or like, I think the, the whole big controversy was like, they had just put out a video where kids should, you know, donate their ice cream money to the worldwide work. And then here's one of the guys <laughs> at the top. Like buying a whole thousands of dollars worth of awesome booze. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with buying 
like I don't think there's anything wrong with buying thousands of dollars of top shelf booze. I mean, that's I don't whatever. either. Yeah, I don't either. But it's like when you're like Mister, it's it's one of those things where it's just like the look of it. like it wasn't a good look for him, but it wasn't like super. So it, it's, well, I mean, anything like know, that. About, I was gonna say what's well, about optics, but like that's Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses. Everything is optics. Everything so. is optics. Yeah, it's like it's how you look. Like I and I think the the main point of it was like you know if this were not somebody on the governing body but somebody else like would the elders have talked to him or about it like at least tried to find out what was going on and why he was you know but i don't know it's one of those things where it's sort of like there are some stuff in apostate circles where you just kind of roll your eyes at and it's like this is not well i mean there's a little you know once you get to you know because coming out of that religion there's like phases you know so like yeah I like it to like it's a yo-yo right so like when you when you when you throw a yo-yo out it goes all the way down and at the first time it comes all the way back up because that you know that that tension and that so so like yeah. you go when you're going out you go a little you go all the way out you come back and then you go out but it only goes down a little further and it doesn't come back up all the way and then it goes down a little so just like your comfort zone exiting the witnesses you go through phases and you, you just kind of sneak out a little bit more and more and more and more until you're, you're up the yo-yo's at the end of the string and it just doesn't come back yeah um but in that you go through phases while you're going through that of um oh you know i know it's the truth i'm still trying and then i'm not trying but i know it's still the truth and you know so like there's like this like this like slow fade that i watch everybody go through in phases and you get to a point one of those phases is anger for Mm. you know what you had to go through what you endured all the bullshit all and certain people get trapped in that anger. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and that's, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I saw, I, I remember when I was first looking at apostate stuff online and there were some very, it wasn't just anger. Cause I, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with anger per se, but there's, you can have it to a level where it's not healthy. Right. Exactly. I mean, and the, some yeah. of these people I saw in the very early days where it was like, an obsession to them like they were actually going out and like this is the first time that i've actually done anything public about it like i i may i think i i I was like on jw forums online where it was sort of like you're not gonna find it unless you go looking for it yeah um and and this is kind of the same way too i guess i mean i guess if you search jehovah's witnesses and spotify this this might be one of the things well and and there's there's people with small enough lives to listen to these just to see if they find anyone they know so yeah and i I, i'm sure when i'm sure that people who have heard my episode um because when this comes out my episode will be out i'm sure i'm sure they're going to make the connection yeah and yeah so it's you know it's one of those points where i don't i don't really consider myself angry about it because i didn't really go through anything i didn't really go through anything like super awful like you did it as an adult yeah i did it as an adult i didn't have to like go out i mean i had the freedom i had like the financial freedom i didn't work for a i didn't work for a witness either yeah and i didn't rely on them for my physical and financial needs so i just like i really did have the freedom to just fuck off 
Well, I mean, one one of the benefits I would say, like your mother valued higher education and she made sure that you had, you know, secular skills. <laughs> yeah, like something. Did, yeah, that's that, huge. That puzzles me about my parents to this day, but um, I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I will. I would too, because I I yeah. didn't have that. I I got pulled out of high school when I was. God, the, the poor people listening to this and just like the like just like squirrel nature of this conversation. I I <laughs> I, I, I feel for them. Uh, but so like I got I got pulled out of high school when I was 16, and then I got shoved to my dad's less than a year later, and he of course put me right back in school. Oh yeah, and, and I'm sure you were all caught up too. Oh, definitely. The, uh, <laughs> the homeschooling that we were using, they're like, well, we can kind of take this credit, but you're not going to graduate when you're supposed to. So you're going to have to go another year. And I was like, bitches, I cannot do this. <laughs> and, um, so I left. Yeah. I, and, and I, you know, obviously I had been convinced that I wasn't going to go to college or do anything or had, you know, so I, I had no future. And like, you know, my dad was in restaurants, so I just figured I'd be in restaurants and I'd be a restaurant manager. And I did that for a while and I was just miserable. Yeah. Um, but I've always envied, like, you know, in your case, like your Jehovah's Witness mom making sure that you did that because like me to get where I got, like I did, I don't have a degree. I did, I did get my GED and I did get some college under my belt. So I have that, but like, yeah, you know, it, it took me well into my thirties to actually find a career and I'm, and I'm just so grateful for it, but good. For, I mean, good for your mom. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. Credit where credit's due. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to dispute that. In fact, I, the reason I didn't do more college was probably was definitely more my fault than, than theirs. Like they were really pushing me to get that bachelor's degree, which yeah. didn't happen. And, uh, same with my younger, my youngest brother who, did get a bachelor's degree and i'm very proud of yeah because um, he he lives you know i have a great relationship with him we don't talk about really like he can say like oh i was out in service the other day and it's not a problem yeah but he's Same. not he doesn't badger me about it he just has he just has his life and he seems happy and i'm happy for him so my youngest brother who would be your youngest brother's age Yes, they were also friends. Actually, I think he may have actually been in my youngest brother's wedding. I, I, I can't yeah, remember. I think so. I think so. so. Um, my youngest brother kind of has the same policy. He's the only one of us of the five kids. He's the only one still in. And um, when I see him, he's you could just tell he misses his older siblings. And like so, like always, like I'm always very religion neutral. Um, I, I just make sure like, you know, he's happy to see me. I don't want to be threatening at all. Um, and I don't know like how, I mean, he's fully functional within it, you know, he and his wife, but they're like the loophole that I get from him still, and I'm sure it's because I'm not this fellowship that he's still, you know, he's, yeah. you know, cause I have uh, our other brother who, um, is out and, uh, he, he's disfellowshipped and, and he does not get the same treatment I do. And, you know, so I don't know why my gay ass gets a, you know, a pass or at least a, uh, a softer landing, but yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't, you're not on the books as a, you know, a no. depressive person or whatever. I mean, but <laughs> mixing our, <laughs> mixing our cults here. Hold on. <laughs> Our, uh, yeah, I mean, what the witnesses love the loopholes. As long as I maintain that, they're, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I'll, 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 go ahead. Well, same here. I mean, uh, the only reason I, 
my I, I, only one member of my witness family shuns me. Like, mm. and and even then, it's sort of like if we run into each other in public, and it's not planned, he'll act like he'll act like nothing ever happened, and he'll mm. be friendly and courteous. And I remember the last time I saw him, like we just ran into each other at the grocery store, and and his wife got to hold our daughter, like her niece. And it was like a good time. We just had a, and it's like they can, like he can be that way, but uh, you know, and it might have something to do with the fact that I, I, I posted, I, I think I posted an article like refuting one of some witnesses doctrine, like a long, 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 long time ago <laughs> in a, on a website that has like been defunct for years. It's, you can't find it anymore. Like you sure. might have to go to the Wayback machine and, and, you know find it but it's it's just not out there it was only on there for like maybe a couple months and and i think somebody found it because i used my real name because i was at i was at the, that stupid point of like being like oh i mean i'm not afraid of them anymore and and well you've got to go through that though so like. yeah yeah that's true i mean but i i that really i think that i don't know it's it's something yeah, Not, I, yeah, I I can't yeah. really rehash that right so now. My brother, who, my younger brother, who lasted until about seven years ago. Obviously, so like he's from my mom's second marriage. So my mom yeah. and my stepdad are his parents. So he is fully second generation witness. And so like where I always had, even though I was one hundred percent second generation witness, I always knew I had the softer landing of my father who would accept me no matter what. Right. And, um, but he didn't have that. And so he, yeah. his personality is not geared toward that witness structure. And he struggled. He got disfellowshipped a couple of times and he just thought he was this horrible piece of shit. And, um, he got disfellowshipped the last time about seven years ago. And he finally, we finally started him, seeing him go through that yo-yo phase, the steps of actually leaving. You know, I, I still yeah. think it's truth but i'm not gonna do it type thing um and now he's he's getting past his anger point too but he they i mean he doesn't he didn't talk to them at first but he's since tried to reach out recently and they are as cold as ice to them and i guarantee you if i texted my mom right now and just smiley face and just said hey lady i love you she'd respond with a smiley face i mean it might be it's not going to be real engaging but like so like the fact that he doesn't get like the fact that I get a little bit of a pass and he doesn't, that's, that's so hypocritical. And it's, yeah, I don't know. And, Cause it's I'm all sure. about, it's all about what's on the piece of paper. It doesn't have anything to do with like it, it what, 100% you do, what you actually do. Like I, you know, I, every once in a while, like I sit back and I just see, I just count all the ways I could have been disfellowship this week, you know? And, <laughs> and, uh, that's a terrible game. <laughs> Just make a drinking game out of it. Make it better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, huh? Take a shot if you did this this week. Take a shot if you, you know, smoked weed this week or whatever. Well, well, well let's let's make it a little healthier. We'll make this fellowship bingo cards, and then like you can, okay. like, like, let's like cross out what you did that week. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, if you get a bingo, you get disfellowshipped again. <laughs> Woo! Woo. Um, uh, if you yeah, if you win, you have to. If you lose, you have to write a disassociation letter. If you have. Yeah, you know, so people have asked me why I've never disassociated myself, and it's like because I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, like so I don't need to. Like, that's one of their rules. Like to me, the people 
you know, I think some people need to just associate themselves. I think it's cathartic. I think, you know, they need that word physically. In my case, I don't need that. That's their rule. So I'm not, I'm not one of them. So why am I using their rules? I, yeah, I, I, I'm the same way there. Like I've thought about it over the years, like just to sometimes it was like, especially if I'm like, especially frustrated with, uh, my mother. And at the time I just, sometimes I just feel like, man, I, I just, just want to write a dish association letter just to get her off my back. <laughs> and which, you know, that's a horrible reason to write a disassociation, disassociation letter. So I'm not going to, um, yeah. I'm, I'm mostly on where you're at on there where it's like, that's their little rule and I'm not in their club anymore and I don't have to follow it. So I'm not going to, I'm oh, not going to call it a club. That makes it sound, ex- <laughs> that makes it sound exclusionary in a good way. It's not a club. <laughs> I'm not in their cabal. <laughs> You're not in their cabal. You're not. Yeah. You're not. You're not. You're not trapped in their little brainwash. Wow. Okay. I got to be careful because I. I am not <laughs> hateful toward the witnesses, and I'm starting to get a little like let yeah. vitriol come out. There, here, so. honestly, uh, and and as far as like individual witnesses too, it's very. I don't really hold any kind of hatred or, I don't know what's vitriol towards them because it's like I was I was where they were at one point. Mm-hmm. I didn't said things that back then that I'm not proud of now. And I sure would hate it if somebody was still holding me to the carpet on shit. I said when I had a completely different belief system than I do now. Well, I, I mean, part of that's just, you know, time in adulthood, right? Because even if you weren't a Jehovah's witness, you probably would have done and said shit that you're like, eh, I hope this doesn't come back. Um, yeah, but no, I know, I know what you mean. Um, but I, 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 I think you're you're slightly more genuine to yourself. Like you actually believed it, and I did, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I did too. But I was never that devout. I mean, like even when I was in it and I was going through the motions, it was because it was all I'd known. So like, I don't know really what it's like to be outraged at somebody not conforming to this thing that I see as the most important thing in my life. I, I, I never have, because even as a kid, like I remember being in school and like wanting to be super accepting. So I would like hang out with the smokers. Like I never smoked, yeah. I just didn't want to, but like I always like really liked the people that like, you know, and so like it that was still kind of almost anti-witness then. Yeah. Right. Because um, witnesses are only supposed to do that like in theory but mm-hmm. not not an actual fact like you don't oh, no. know because it's no, bad association to, right you're supposed to go there as this benevolent like representative of jehovah coming down let me take your pain away i can help you stop smoking by reading the scripture instead of actually like you know like sitting with the sinners god forbid yeah which is crazy because it's like you just you go to the meetings and you read about jesus doing all of that shit <laughs> and, and the, he's supposed that, to be an example like <laughs> and they're just like, well, Jesus was perfect, so he was immune to bad association or some. Sh- that's I, I don't know. Uh, well, and, that's kind of I don't know if that's a justification I just came up with in my warped little brain at the time, or if that was something somebody actually but, said to me. But I mean, it could be. But it's like the minute that three minute and thirty second prayer finally finishes at the end of that meeting, it's like the piranhas come out and like all of the like the backbiting and like the the, the social dynamics are there, and it's just woo. yeah. Yeah. Oh, big time. And I touched on that in my episode too, like where my experience with pioneering in that, in that congregation with certain people that you and I both know, uh, 
<laughs> that you can probably imagine. But yeah, it, it's so like they're so unchristlike as far as like what the vision of Christ is supposed to be, well, even according to them. And there's so much like the Pharisees. Because the they they talk about the Pharisees like, oh, here are these people who are just like you know, they're, they're so concerned with rules and, and the minutia of rules and their position of power. And it's like, I look back and I'm just like, that, that's all the shit the witnesses are concerned about. Like, I, they're concerned about their position. Like, I, I remember being told, like, you can't date anybody. You know, you're if you're not a ministerial servant, you're not going to go out with anybody who isn't like a rebel. Oh, you will, but it will probably be that once this fellowship sister that's already kind of tainted, you know? No, I wasn't cool enough for her. <laughs> Fair enough, right? She was going for the other bad boys. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't like, <laughs> I was too goody two-shoes for those, but I wasn't like high achieving for the, for the, for the other end of the spectrum. So oh, I was kind of that awful uh, point where I couldn't yeah. like be, I couldn't be either, I wasn't attractive to either one because it's like, Oh, he's going to tell on me or he doesn't go. He doesn't get at least 35 hours a month in service. So he's not worth such a small existence. Like, yes. And I don't, I got to be careful because like I have compassion for those people and I don't, that's all so many of them know. So like the thing is about humans, like humans are social creatures. So no matter what the benevolent, you know, altruistic, ultimate goal is of of whatever theology they're following you're not going to breed out human nature and all of like what you're talking about and like the the mammalian instincts the the dance of finding a mate which you know yeah and and it just it manifests itself in 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 my opinion at this point in my life in such a comical way um Mm. in, in an environment like that and it's just so unnatural so to close this out um yeah is there any advice you'd give to somebody who is questioning or, or leaving or has just left or, or whatever? Take it slow. Um, you know, the, the people I know that, that leave, you know, they, they, they've got all these assumptions about how things are going to be or what they can expect or how scary things are. And, you know, it can be scary. Anything can be scary, but just take it slow. You know, you don't have to be anything or do anything. You have time to figure out who you are and and turn into whatever person or however you want your life to be, but it's not going to happen overnight. You know, and, and the pain and the trauma and the shunning and whatever you're going to go through, it'll get better. 